0: Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators?
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused.
0: It was a warm night in Dallas, Texas, Monday, June 11, 2001. Police arrived at the home of Barbara and Kenny Atkinson in the Pebble Creek Mobile Home Park in Hutchins, Texas, about 12 miles south of Dallas. Kenny knew the police were coming that night because he had revealed a secret he and Barbara kept for six years to their neighbor. Officer Gary McLean walked up the steps of the white trailer with green trim. He found young Lauren Kavanaugh dressed nicely, sitting at the kitchen table with a plate of food. But the closer he looked at her, the more strange things he noticed. Lauren was filthy, her skin was peeling, and her hair was matted. The girl smiled at him with her dimples. But what Officer McLean found out about her living situation shocked him.
1: welcome to the voice of the victim podcast i'm ryan
0: and i'm rosie
1: and uh this week we're discussing a more um obscure case than last week last week's case was pretty popular actually the last two cases were pretty popular so mm-hmm. uh we want to shed light on this case which doesn't have quite as much attention but was still- this is
0: the case that was on oprah though
1: uh, I was on Dr. Phil. I don't oh, know about right, Oprah. Dr. Phil. Okay. But still, nowhere near the amount of exposure that Elizabeth Smart or Larry Nassar has gotten. So, Right. Um, so, yeah, this week we're talking about Lauren Cavanaugh.
0: And let's just thank our patrons one more time before we get started. Oh, yeah. For their generous support. Love yeah. you guys, and we are so appreciative of you and your support.
1: Yeah, you guys are awesome. So.
0: After Lauren... Kavanaugh was found. She was rushed off to the ER of the Children's Medical Center in Dallas that night. She appeared like a Holocaust survivor. Her belly was bloated, her ribs protruded, and her arms were thin and frail, barely the size of a roll of quarters. She had cigarette burns on her skin and puncture wounds. Lauren was eight years old, but she was only 25.6 pounds. (sighs)
1: so an average eight-year-old weighs around 50 pounds so this poor girl's not it's only half the size she should be clearly she was being neglected starved and abused
0: lauren's body was in such poor condition that the doctors worried if they made any mistakes while treating her it could kill her
1: so she's in a really serious condition when she's found when with all the cases of abuse we talk about where the child doesn't survive It's easy to say, well, at least she survived. That's great. But the road to recovery for a child that was abused for six years like this, especially in the formative years, is long and full of obstacles. But before we get into more detail about her abuse, let's talk about who Lauren Kavanaugh is.
0: Lauren was born in April of 1993 to Barbara Calhoun. Her friends called her Barbie. Throughout her labor at East Texas Medical Center in Athens, Barbara's best friend, Sabrina Kavanaugh, held her hand, showing her support. Barbie and Sabrina went back about five months. When they first met, Barbara was four months pregnant with a toddler who was three months shy of two years old. She was living out of her Chevy pickup truck at the time.
1: A pickup truck has got to be the worst kind of vehicle to be living out of because there's only one row of seats. It had to be a tough situation for the expecting mother with a toddler.
0: The Kavanaughs arranged for Barbie to move in with some of their relatives to get her off the streets. Sabrina and her husband, Bill Kavanaugh, really wanted to adopt a child, and Barbie was willing to work with them.
1: Yeah, it seemed like the perfect match. Lauren could go to a loving home of Barbie's friends, people she trusted to take care of her daughter.
0: Throughout Barbie's pregnancy, Sabrina drove her to all of her doctor's appointments. It was about three hours worth of driving to get her all to all appointments between Ennis, Mabank, and Athens. Did Mabank? I say that right?
1: I would assume it's not pronounced Mabank. Probably <laughs> Maybank or Ma-Bank. May...
0: People I'm, from
1: Texas, please let us know. I'm
0: just saying it the way it looks. Mm-hmm. Mabank. The doctors would make sure Barbie was all right with giving up the baby to Sabrina. They would even have Sabrina sit out in the hallway during some appointments while they made sure that Barbie wasn't being coerced or forced into the adoption.
1: Mm -hmm. It's nice to see them crossing their T's and dotting their I's to make sure this is what everyone wanted. With some of the crazy stories we've covered, this could have been any number of crazy situations. But Sabrina and Bill just seem like well-meaning and loving people that want to give a child the best life they can.
0: Sometimes Barbie's response to these questions would be like, I want to keep her, but I don't have a job or a place to live, so the adoption makes more sense. But it almost came across as her just wanting to be pitied and not actually wanting to change the situation. Sabrina was there for Barbie throughout the whole process, She was even the one to cut the umbilical cord. The next morning, they all signed the adoption papers, and the Kavanaughs were so excited to welcome their new child into the world. The next day, while the family was gathered to see the new baby, Sabrina asked Barbie if she wanted to hold the baby. Barbie shook her head no, and Sabrina said, Are you sure? Then Barbie just turned around and walked out of the room.
1: Now, to me, this is a red flag right out of the gates. It seemed like there were some emotions that Barbie was suppressing. But instead of opening up and talking about them, she cut off communication and just walked away. I almost wonder if she felt resentment toward the Kavanaugh's because they were in a position to take the baby and Barbie wasn't. But at the same time, Barbie did have a two-year-old, so I wonder where that child was at the time.
0: I also don't want to be too judgmental at Barbie at the situation because I can't imagine how hard it would be to hand over to your baby to somebody, no matter the, the you know, the expectation that she already knew what was mm-hmm. happening. It just seems yeah, like a really hard thing.
1: A tough separation.
0: Sabrina Kavanaugh said that bringing Lauren home was the best day of her life. They had a little room for her. They dressed her in pink onesies. With little lacy shoes.
1: Weren't shoes for babies just the cutest thing ever? Especially like the miniaturized versions of like mm-hmm. popular adult shoes.
0: They're almost as cute as cat shoes.
1: Cat shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we have any of those? <laughs> but if I ever had a baby, I would need to get her or him a tiny little pair of Converse Chucks. Aww. know. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aren't those cute? hmm Every time I see those, I just tear up a little bit. You do? Yeah, they're so cute. <laughs>
0: It's too bad you're never gonna have a baby.
1: Maybe you could get them for well, <laughs> that's still up for discussion.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe we'll see, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it'd be cute to get them for like for the cats. <laughs> is that weird? Yeah, okay, it's pushing it. Let's move on.
0: The Kavanaughs enjoyed the company of Lauren for eight wonderful months, but then they got a phone call that devastated them. It was Barbie's attorney informing them of a petition she had filed to get custody of her biological daughter back. Apparently, Barbie felt regret right after signing the adoption papers. She had called the Kavanaughs at some point, saying she wanted her daughter back, and they told her to get a lawyer.
1: So now we see where Barbie's mind was at the time when she just turned around and walked away. She really wasn't comfortable with the situation.
0: They had a year-long custody battle custody battle and this time Barbara Calhoun married Kenneth Atkinson
1: yeah so apparently the attorney that filed the adoption papers had failed to um, fill out one of the pages so after a year long custody battle Barbara Calhoun now Atkinson got the custody of her biological daughter back Mm.
0: Barbie's mother Doris Calhoun commented on this saying barbie has an absolute right to change her mind a mother who makes a choice to give up a child has not abandoned that child it is a loving choice that's a caring choice it's a wonderful choice and she is a great person to have made that choice
1: so knowing everything i know that we're going to talk about as ben kissel would say i don't know about all that i wonder at what (laughs) point in time doris made these comments because If it was after this whole story was said and done, she would be a complete moron to say that Barbie made any decisions out of love. Uh, Barbie's not a great person, like her mother wants to believe. So let's get into Lauren's story after this adoption. Or I guess, reverse of an adoption. So now's the time we need to warn you again. This is where it gets really dark. Barbara and Kenny Atkinson are freaking monsters, and there's no other way to put it. So if you're, gonna, if you're really sensitive to the abuse and you're going to be bothered by that, this might be the time to turn it off.
0: As the biological mother of Lauren, it was Barbie's job to protect and care for her. But she would not only fail at that, she would become the young girl's torturer, and she would even enlist her husband Kenny in the terrible things they would put little Lauren through.
1: It's disgusting, but Barbie seemed to take pleasure in the pain she caused her daughter, almost like she was trying to get back at her for leaving her at birth. Like the poor girl had any control over it.
0: Barbara and Kenny had six kids, but they targeted Lauren as being the bad kid. There was never any real reason for this. They just decided to label her as quote-unquote bad.
1: Now we're going to get into some of the details of the abuse. So again, if you're sensitive to child abuse, know that you've been warned.
0: When Lauren was dirty, she'd be given baths. But Barbie would hold the little girl's head under the water and laugh as she clawed at the sides of the tub and gulped for air. When Lauren was hungry, or more accurately, starving, Barbie would give her macaroni and cheese. But she'd warn the young girl, Chew it, but don't swallow it.
1: (sighs) It's so hard to chew food without swallowing it, How? especially when so you're So she's supposed
0: to spit it out?
1: Yeah. <sighs> I mean, ugh. I used to try to do this with saltines. Like, I'd try to put as many in my mouth at a time as I could and chew them up, but never swallow. Why? I, I was a weird kid. I liked the texture of the clump of saltines. Anyway, I don't want to gross anyone out. But... um I could never get very far because my body was telling me to swallow it, and so I did. And I was nowhere near starving. I can't even imagine how difficult this would be for little Lauren to be, never be fed and then have to hold food in her mouth and chew it and then spit it out. That's
0: psychotic. Then Ken would also get, on the, get in on the abuse. He would rape Lauren, and Barbara would laugh and howl with a devilish delight. She truly took pleasure in torturing this little girl.
1: This is so difficult to understand. How could you do any of this to any child? Another thing I found annoying is how Kenneth would blame it all on his wife, which it does seem like she initially instigated all this, but he could have done something to help this poor girl. Instead, he went along with it and did unspeakable things to little Lauren. Why the heck would this crazy woman fight so hard to regain custody of her daughter just to despise her and torture her? It's ridiculous.
0: Hard to read this outline. It's pretty disgusting what they did. (sighs) The Atkinsons kept Lauren in a closet most of the time where this abuse would take place. They let her sit in her own feces. They would make her pee on herself. After the investigators rescued Lauren from the closet, they found teeth marks on the doorknob, like she had been chewing on it, trying to open it. They found plastic bowls that had been chewed on because the poor little girl was starving and literally trying to eat anything she could. There was trash all over the closet, and it reeked of urine and feces.
1: Yeah, the investigator that found Lauren commented that when he rescued her from the closet and told her they were going to get her out of there and take care of her, she just smiled at him. Like, the most innocent little grin. And a lot of the people that worked on this case commented on how sweet her little dimpled smile was. Even though she'd been put through things most of us can't even imagine, she was a bright, smiley child.
0: I'm wondering if they're all the chew marks, especially on the doorknob. Maybe it was also from boredom. I'm not having anything to do.
1: Mm. After
0: Lauren was rescued, the medical evaluation showed that her brain had
1: atrophied
0: Atrophied from malnutrition.
1: Basically, when your muscles atrophy, they lose mass because they're not being used. Okay. And in this case, she wasn't being fed properly, so there was nothing for her body to use to keep her brain intact.
0: Her body had cannibalized its important bones, muscle, and organ tissue just to stay alive her stomach no longer produced the enzymes needed to digest digest food to avoid her getting refeeding syndrome. They had to use a specially planned refeeding method originally developed for Holocaust survivors to get her body to digest food properly again. They asked her how old she was and she held up two fingers When they asked her why they, why she thought she was two. She told them it was because she'd only had two birthday parties.
1: She was truly neglected. She had also asked them if she could go to the potty because her mom and dad don't let her. Oh,
0: poor thing. I wonder what, I mean, I can't imagine this this planned refeeding method being very comfortable. I wonder what that entailed.
1: I know. I think very small amounts of food to start out and maybe even just liquids.
0: Yeah. Oh, so even though all this crap had been going on, the Atkinson family appeared to be a loving and caring family on the outside. Barbie's mother said that every time they came to my house, Barbie and Kenny would sit on our couch and there would be kids crawling all over them, on their backs and hugging and kissing them. And Lauren was a part of that. She wasn't standing off in the corner. She was part of the crew.
1: Yeah, well... I mean, it seems like Lauren was just trying to make the best of every nice family moment she could because Mm -hmm. she knew where she was going once they got home. She'd been tortured from the age of one, so she probably didn't really know any better or how it was supposed to be for her. This is what she knew from the age of eight months old.
0: Doris also said her daughter may have had flaws like being lazy, a thief, and a scam artist, but her children... With her children, she was tender and loving.
1: Okay. No big deal. She's just a thief and scam artist. I don't see the problem with that.
0: (laughs) Of course, Doris blames the Kavanaugh's for the strained relationship that Lauren had with her mother, Barbie. Apparently, they offered to babysit every weekend, and they would buy Lauren clothes and toys and continued to refer to themselves as Mommy and Daddy.
1: Mm, Which... The mommy and daddy thing's a little bit over the line if they'd lost their custody. But Mm -hmm. if anyone's trying to blame the years of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse on that, it's completely ridiculous. Barbie did sign legal documents saying these people could adopt her child. These people that took her in off the street and helped her out through her pregnancy and showed nothing but love to her, their hearts were broken when Barbie suddenly flipped on them after signing the papers, so you gotta try to understand their side of it when they're, they're just trying to make sure Lauren has as nice of a life as she can.
0: But of course, Dora says that the problem wasn't the fact that Barbie got her back. It was the fact that the Kavanaugh's never left. They broke the parent-child relationship, so it never was established strongly like it should have been. That's what happened between Lauren and Barbie
1: how how can she think this
0: i don't know i'm i'm so confused on how she didn't pick up on any of the warning signs
1: (sighs) i'm thinking hey instead of being a baby about the way other people are treating your kids which is with nothing but kindness maybe try treating her like your child instead of a prisoner try being a loving mother to her treat her as nicely as the kavanaugh's did buy her nice clothes and toys, love her, don't lock her in a closet, starve her, and sexually abuse her. It's just a thought.
0: But this Kavanaugh problem that Doris talks about didn't last too long, because the last time they saw Lauren, up until 2001, was December 26, 2004, exactly a year after receiving that devastating phone call. By that time, the Atkinsons had given birth to another child, The Kavanaugh's met her in a Walmart parking lot in Jasper. Sabrina carried Lauren to Barbie Atkinson's pickup, handed her a paper with phone numbers, kissed Lauren on the forehead, and handed her over. Sabrina looked Barbie in the eye and told her, if you ever change your mind, it doesn't matter where you're at, call, and I'll come get her. The Kavanaugh's weren't aware at the time, but Barbie was living in that Walmart parking lot. Now, with three kids in a pickup truck.
1: How the heck did they give her custody of Lauren back while she was in this living situation? Didn't the authorities or whoever is in charge of this check on any of that? Yeah. Like that, her living situation?
0: And even if she tried to lie about her living situation and went to a house during these, you know, checks, wouldn't they be able to dig into it a little more just to verify that? It was where she was living. You think so? Eventually, Barbie and Ken got together and moved into the trailer where they would practice all the terrible abuse they put Lauren through.
1: Oh my gosh! Did I just realize Barbie, Barbie and, and Ken. Ken? I did too. Huh. Anyway,
0: that's just a completely random little tidbit <laughs> we noticed. So, how are the police alerted of what Lauren was going through like we described in the intro? For weeks before the discovery, Kenneth Atkinson had been mumbling about Barbie's little secret, which had become code for Lauren. The neighbors of the Atkinsons in the Pebble Creek Mobile Home Park described Kenny as the kind of guy who would talk a lot, but didn't say much. When they heard... That's what? funny. Oh. <laughs> You mean like he's just talking about nothing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When they heard Barbie's little secret, they assumed he meant she was hiding some weed plants in the back bedroom or maybe some meth, so they weren't super concerned about it. But on June eleventh, two 2001, Kenny Atkinson told his neighbor, Jeannie Rivers, that there was something he needed to show her inside the trailer.
1: So apparently the abuse of this little girl was really getting to him. As it should. I mean, he was raping a toddler.
0: He seemed disheveled and stressed out, like he couldn't wait to get something off his chest. Jeanie was chatting away like this was going to be no big deal as she followed Ken down a hallway into the master bedroom. He moved a basket of clothes and took some hangers off the doorknob of the closet and swung the door open as he said, "'Hi, Lauren.'
1: <sighs> i can't imagine the fear this poor girl would have every time someone would open that door the way that he would normally abuse her i mean usually if someone opened that door they're either, either gonna torture her or rape her
0: and obviously lauren had been in the closet for a while if there's you know hangers in a basket of clothes in front of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: <sighs> suddenly Jeannie fell completely silent She hadn't been expecting to see a child in this closet. Lauren huddled at Jeannie's feet. Lauren was frail and pale. She was naked, and her arms were only an inch wide. Lauren looked up at her. One of her eyes was crusted shut, and the other one was only partially open.
1: Yeah, at first, this really scared Jeannie because Lauren appeared so non-human. Jeannie actually described Lauren in court. As appearing like a little monster, which, I mean, that's kind of harsh, but mm-hmm. yeah, it it's, is. it's not her fault, it's the way her parents were taking care of her.
0: Up until this point, the Atkinsons' house always appeared to be a loving place for their five kids. No one in the neighborhood knew about Lauren, so it was strange that Kenny suddenly revealed the secret. But it came out later that around this time, Barbie had been meeting men on the internet, then leaving Ken with her children for days at a time to go hook up with these guys. Hmm. So possibly he had enough of this lifestyle and wanted it to end. This could have been also why he blamed all of it completely on Barbie. It could have been a revenge thing for him.
1: Yeah, if he was raping Lauren, there's no way Barbie is the only one to blame in the situation. To me, it seems like he was using this opportunity to hurt Barbie, you know, to get back at her for cheating on him and attempt to get away with it at the same time.
0: Yeah. I'm just wondering why he picked Jeannie to show, you know. I
1: know. It is a strange way, but, I mean, maybe he... I mean, a lot of these people, like Barbie, the instigators of the crime, they don't have a conscience. They don't care that they're hurting someone, but... This guy, I mean, it seems like Barbie told him to rape her and he was—he gave into it and took advantage of it, but it still really bothered him, you know?
0: At some points, anyway. Yeah. There were some instances where people noticed things about Lauren that seemed like misopportunities in hindsight. Her grandparents had held the immense
1: emaciated
0: emaciated Lauren on their laps those hard words I tell ya (laughs) (laughs) but Barbie told them the child had an eating disorder that caused her to gorge on food
1: I don't quite understand that explanation why would a child that appears starving be gorging on food although it could be because the tummy tends to bulge out when a person is emaciated like um it's because the body retains a lot of water as much as it can, and the buildup of this causes the abdomen to expand. So maybe that's why they were trying to explain her starvingness as I gorging guess. on food. It's, it, it's uh, confusing.
0: Her grandma Doris, who we mentioned earlier, said that when Lauren would come over to their house, she was a quote-unquote pig.
1: I don't know why, but everything Doris says rubs me the wrong way. She just seems so insensitive to the plight of this child and more trying to defend her own psychotic daughter.
0: Doris continued. She would eat everything in sight. She would steal stuff from the refrigerator like pork chops or a ham bone or anything left over and take it to her bed and put it under her pillow.
1: Is it really stealing if it's your granddaughter?
0: Isn't that a... Big flashing red light.
1: Yeah, it is. This all seems like really odd behavior, but Doris claims she never noticed the girl was starving. So hmm. how can she? How can she say that the Lauren's stealing food from her
0: and hiding it under a pillow?
1: Yeah, I mean, red flag.
0: But doctors that examined Lauren later testified that the girl. Had pretty much stopped growing at around two and a half years old,
1: and you can see that on the picture we will post on Instagram. She does not look like an eight year old in this picture It's sickening what they did to her. This is developmental stunting that will affect her brain and body for the rest of her life and never really be able to develop mentally into a you know a normal person, yeah or get to the point where a normal adult would be.
0: Lauren had also become lactose intolerant, but Barbie continued giving her milk. This would cause Lauren to vomit and get terrible diarrhea. But Barbie blamed Lauren for this, which led to her starving the child and spiraling into what it eventually became. The more Lauren would cry and throw up, the more mad Barbie would get at her. Psychologists called this scapegoating. Parents will target one child to blame for all the family's troubles and enlist others in the taunting and physical abuse. Things got really bad in the last year of Lauren's captivity. According to Doris, the last time she saw Lauren in 1999, she was fat. But every time she would visit her daughter after that, Barbie would tell her mom that Lauren was at a friend's house.
1: So she didn't even come out when people were visiting the house. She
0: said Lauren was fat.
1: And, well, when she had first come from the Kavanaugh's house.
0: Uh, Okay. Doris said it was suspicious, and it should have been suspicious, but it wasn't because in my mind I already had the answer. She gave Lauren away at birth. And in my mind, she had let Lauren go to these other people's houses until someone finally decided to take her.
1: Try wrapping your head around what this woman is trying to say, because I sure can't. She says it was suspicious and it should have been, but it wasn't. (laughs) It sounds like she's talking in circles. Then she assumed Barbie was just letting her go to random people's houses until someone took her when she knew that the Kavanaugh's loved Lauren and would have taken her and loved her at any time. This seems like a huge missed opportunity. It seems like Doris knew something was wrong, but wanted to pretend it wasn't. And I'm not blaming Doris for any of the abuse, but she is a good example for us to be aware of what's going on. If we have a granddaughter one day and the next day she disappears, that's time to ask questions. But maybe I'm just emotional and biased because I know what Lauren was going through and Doris rubs me wrong. I'm sure she's just lovely, but uh, it it's enraging.
0: We do want to try to be balanced in our view of Doris Calhoun. She has stated that parents try hard to believe their children, even when their stories don't quite make sense.
1: Yeah, that's understandable. I'd probably want to be the same way.
0: Calhoun said... You never in a million years think maybe she's got the child locked in a closet somewhere.
1: Yeah, she's got a point. But like I said, we can at least try to learn from this example. A missing child is a big deal, and if she's missing for almost two years... Uh, I'm, I guess hindsight is 20-20, and you want to believe that people can see those red flags that need to be checked out, but... I guess life gets in the way, and it's tough to see. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> there were more signs of trouble in this house. CPS had investigated the Atkinsons twice, and Lauren told the investigators that police had come to check on her welfare on two separate occasions. Both times, her parents had sat her in the kitchen at the table with food in front of her but told her not to eat
1: just like they did on the night Lauren was finally rescued.
0: When the officer would show up, he chatted casually with the parents on the front porch for a bit. Then he stood there and checked out the surroundings and left. Then she would go back in the closet like nothing happened. Way back in June of 1995, one of Barbie's high school friends, Stacy Wilson, went to the police claiming that two-year-old Lauren was being tied to a bed spread eagle and jasper but by the time a caseworker arrived the family had moved how long did it take for this caseworker to show up
1: (laughs) too long oh
0: poor thing
1: it doesn't seem like there was much of a follow-up on this after they couldn't find the family so are we saying that all you need to do to get away with abusing your child is move Because it seems like a lot of times they'll give up on a lead pretty easily if they can't find you.
0: Around 18 months later, another complaint was filed in Wood County about children eating moldy food out of the trash. And, of course, the mother's name was reported as Barbara Calhoun.
1: This sounds a lot like the Turpin kids, remember? Mm -hmm. But this was actually reported and, quote-unquote, investigated, if you can call what we're about to talk about an investigation.
0: CPS knocked on the door of Ken and Barbie's trailer, but no one answered. Moments later, Ken and Barbie walked up to the caseworker and offered to help, asking, Who are you looking for? The caseworker said Barbara Calhoun. They replied, We don't know her. We live down the road. After this, the report was closed, with the footnote, unable to make contact.
1: (sighs) So, the manipulation they used here is ridiculous. If you're working a case with potential legal implications involved, why would you not have the identity figured out of the person you're looking for? Like, couldn't they have pulled up a state ID to get a picture of who they were after? I'm honestly shocked that they got away with this and the caseworker closed the case so easily. Kids don't eat out of the trash for fun.
0: It is shocking how fast that was just tied up and put away.
1: Yeah, it's like just checking another one off the list. But
0: sadly, there's so many cases for the caseworkers to check on. I'm sure that they're constantly feeling overwhelmed with their work.
1: Yeah, which means maybe that department needs a little more funding and more employees.
0: Now, technically, this person followed their job to the letter of the law. We can't say technically that a mistake was made, but it sure does seem like a missed opportunity to us.
1: Yes, and we want to remember Lauren's situation was 100% the fault of her mother, Barbara, and her stepfather, Kenneth Atkinson. We can't blame anyone else for the horrors she went through we just want to find those missed opportunities where someone could have made a difference in her life but didn't. Maybe in future situations, it could get someone to think twice and could make a difference in the victim's life. Thankfully, Lauren didn't die at the end of this, but life has certainly been a struggle for her.
0: So for six years, Lauren had lived in a dark, four-foot-by-nine-foot closet in her parents' bedroom. She was starved, raped, beaten and tortured. The only time she saw the light of day was when they took her out of the closet to abuse her. She was forced to sleep on carpet saturated in her own urine and feces. (sighs) They would burn her with cigarettes and they'd hold her head under the water on the few occasions they allowed her to take a bath. Thankfully, Lauren was rescued from this horrible situation and she was eventually reunited with the Kavanaugh family, the parents that really loved her.
1: This is a perfect illustration of good adoptive parents, which is why she still identifies as a Kavanaugh. A lot of people that have been adopted or had one parent disown them will refer to their adoptive parents or step-parent as their real parents or real dad. It's because the parental bond means more than just a biological relation or, you Mm -hmm. know, a night of fun for the parents. A true parent loves and cares for their child and poor Lauren only got that for eight months before having it ripped away from her. Thankfully, she did get it back, but not before suffering all this abuse and getting irreparable damage.
0: Ken and Barbie got life sentences for what they did, and it seems very appropriate. They took this little girl's life and put a dent in it that can never be removed.
1: I've said this before, but if you're capable of physically abusing someone... I believe you're capable of murdering someone. If Lauren would not have been rescued, she would have died at their hands. And we saw it with Terrell Peterson, Liam Fee, Robbie Wayne, Erica Parsons, Stoney and Stephen Blair. They all died as a result of abuse. Most likely accidentally, but because um, their parents were abusing them. So again, if you're capable of abuse, you're capable of being a murderer. If you have abusive tendencies, please get help.
0: It took Lauren a long time to adjust to normal life again. She was terrified of bathing because of the many times her mother would hold her head underwater. She would try sleeping in her closet at night, and when she ate, she would take part of her food and stash it away for later.
1: Yeah, she had so much psychological trauma from what her mother put her through that this is just ingrained into her now
0: lauren went through a lot of therapy growing up she had gotten into a fight at school and they recommended that she enrolled in in an alternative school this made a huge difference for lauren she says it was one of the best things that could have happened to her because she met other survivors there and realized she was not alone in her trauma
1: yeah meeting other survivors survivors can be such a powerful thing when it comes to recovery And that's why we love doing the show. Growing this community of survivors and empathetic people is so helpful to us and our world view. Learning all these stories has made me personally a more understanding and empathetic person towards everyone. Um, Trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and trying not to assume anyone has bad intentions, but instead realizing that everyone has personal struggles that can make them come across as awful sometimes, and I know I come across as awful sometimes to other people, <laughs> but there's something special about learning from your own mistakes and becoming a less judgmental and more patient and understanding person.
0: Ryan, you're like a teddy bear, and nobody thinks that you're awful. I do, but not anybody else. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that doesn't sound very good. Teasing you. Uh,
0: now, well, Lauren, thank you. you're welcome. Now, Lauren is studying to become a counselor for children who are survivors of abuse. She's in a happy relationship with her partner. Although she's still triggered by certain things like country music, she's developed strong coping mechanisms to help her deal with life. Her whole life, she's been struggling with depression and even suicidal thoughts. She's actually attempted suicide 30 times. Yeah. I wonder... The country music, it must be associated with... Well,
1: I think they played it a lot in the house. Yeah. And this shows how far-reaching the impact of her abuse has gone. Even though she appeared to be a happy child and she escaped her abuse, has been such a tough road for her and continues to be a struggle.
0: But fortunately, Lauren herself believes that she's going to be okay and that she can manage her depression. All right, so that kind of wraps up our story for Lauren, right?
1: Yep. That's. Oh, uh, I don't even know what to say now. It's, I mean, being abused like this by your own parents is one of the worst things that I can imagine.
0: hmm Yeah. And, and, and she
1: has irreparable mental and social and psychological damage that's just gonna be with her for the rest of her life, and she just needs love and support.
0: All I can say is I'm happy that she has loving parents now. You know, Mm -hmm. her adoptive ones. Yeah. I guess that's where we'll stop for today. Shake it off, take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Um, Along with that, we want to remind you that our first Patreon-exclusive episode is now available on Patreon Patreon for all (laughs) levels of support. So if you go on and pledge a dollar or more now, You can help support us, and you'll get an extra episode about Jared Fogel, the subway guy.
1: Yep. And we are also working on a second premium episode for our Patreon subscribers, who we are so grateful for. Um, But that one, starting with the second premium episode, will only be available for the $2 level or above. So, uh. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast and Twitter at VOV Pod or email us at Vovpodcast at gmail dot com. And is there anything else you want to talk about this week, Rosie?
0: Um I'm done with winter mm-hmm. and I'm excited for summer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It well, okay, we are actually recording this the same night as part two of the Elizabeth Smart case, so it's only December 6th right now <laughs> and it won't be this episode won't be released until uh much later in the month. So there might be news that comes up that we we'll would threaten. like to sh- yeah, we would like to share with you guys but it's not on this episode because we're trying to get our December episodes recorded because of my crazy work schedule. Um by Tuesday of this week I had already logged 39 hours because the holiday uh, workload is insane, but we are—I'm pretty sure we're gonna be able to make it through the month without missing an episode. So that's mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we just have one more to record and uh, get put together before the end of December. So yeah, so we yeah, can do it. Yeah, I'm really—I'm really glad to know that we're not gonna be skipping a week because it's really nice. It's really fun to do this and. I know, we feel like it's an important thing to keep doing. So So again, thank you to everyone who listens, whether you're a patron or not. We appreciate each and every one of you just for giving us the time uh, to hang out and talk about these terrible things and what we can hopefully do to help prevent them. All right. So,
0: Feel free to email us with, you know, a case that you think that we should cover or just to say hi we've been getting some really nice reviews so if you want to leave us a review please feel free
1: mm-hmm. and the invitation to share your own personal story is still open uh, if you do have a story of survival or or whatever we'd love to hear it and share it with our listeners if you'd like us to so you can email us about that as well so I think that's it Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Canada may be known as the friendliest country in the world, but make no mistake, it has some of the most shocking criminal cases too. My name is Christy, and I host Canadian True Crime. I'm Australian, but I've been living in Canada for many years. Canadian True Crime takes a deep dive into some of Canada's most well-known cases, like the Ken and Barbie killers, Robert Picton the pig farmer, and many smaller cases you probably haven't heard of but are just as fascinating. If you're looking for the facts of the case told in a narrative storytelling format with ambient music, you can find me on your favourite podcast app or social media just by searching for Canadian True Crime.